Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. All right, so this week we're going to talk about... um, we're going to talk about Acts 2.43. It says this. It says, um, A deep sense of awe came over all of the apostles and performed many miraculous signs and wonders. A deep sense of awe. Um, I want you to think about the last time, like in, in all seriousness, think about the last time you had a moment of just complete awe. Whether it was a sunset, whether it was looking at your children playing for those of us who are moms or dads and or maybe God intervened in a special way during worship or showed up unexpectedly and you were just completely awestruck. Um, one of the things I miss about being in West Tennessee in the country is the stars are way much brighter out in the country um, than what it is here in Murfreesboro and where we live. And, and I miss being able to look up and just be in awe of God's creation and the stars, and Scripture says that he placed each one of them in the heavens, and he called them by name. And it says that the, the apostles and the church and the disciples were so devoted that miracles were happening, and they were in awe. And so I want to talk about miracles this morning, and I was looking to try to find the right definition for, for, for miracles, and I found all these really deep and heavy and long definitions for a miracle. And I found all these seven or eight categories of the miracles that we see in the book of Acts that they fall into. But the best definition I found came from this book called Systematic Theology. And it says it's an introduction to Bible doctrine, but it's 1,616 pages Um, I think I want a different introduction to Bible theology. Anybody else, right? But it it, it has just the most beautiful um, definition that lines up with this passage. It says, a miracle is a less common kind of God's activity in which he arouses or brings people's awe and wonder and bears witness to himself. And so it says it's a less common kind of activity. And and what that statement is saying is that just because it's less common doesn't mean that God isn't commonly active in our lives. As believers, we have to have an understanding and a foresight and almost a perspective that God is always active in our life, that he's never not active. Some people have the view of God just set everything in, in motion and stepped away And he only intervenes when he's angry or he's trying to help us out. But I believe that God is always active in our life. And Paul even talks about this in Acts chapter 17 when when, when he's preaching and he's he's teaching in Athens, Greece, to all these philosophers and all these smart people. And he's saying, listen, and, and they have all these gods 
with, with names and titles, and they want to make sure they cover all the bases, and so they have this one statue, this one idol that says, to the unknown God. And so he comes to them, he says, look, this unknown God that you know nothing about, let me tell you about him. And he says, this God sets up nations when they should rise and fall. He sets up our timeline when we should live and, and, and the days of our life. And he says, God does all of this, that he is active in our lives so that we would might reach out, that we might look and hopefully grasp onto him. And then he quotes one of their poets and says, it's in him that we live and we move and we have our being. And so God, I don't want you to think that, that God is only active when miracles are taking place. God is always active in our life. Amen. And so when we look at, at, at God's activity, um, oftentimes I really think we miss God's miracles in the modern Western church, that we miss more miracles than what are actually happening. And it, like there are several reasons that I got to thinking about this, even in my own life and, and other believers that, that I know is that, that we have positioned ourselves to where we miss miracles. And one, I think it's because we've gotten so self-sufficient in life. Like, if we need to do something, there's an app for that, right? If we need to do something, we can call. If we need finances, we can take out a loan. If we need food, we go shopping. We are so very self-sufficient. And when we look in Scripture and Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray, and he says, give us this day our daily bread, it is hard for us. And there may be some in this room, but if we think about people in other developing parts of the world, like that is their prayer. Like they have no idea where they will get nourishment for the day or even the week. But like I remember in college just being grateful. I had 75 cents. I could go get a Nature's Valley granola bar from the vending machine. I didn't have to pray about it. I had to find, like we are self-sufficient. And so we miss out. And I think even when, when we aren't expecting God to move, um, and he shows up, we've gotten so comfortable doing things on our own, we don't acknowledge that when God steps in, and so we completely disregard the divine. We completely disregard when God intervenes. We, 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 we don't acknowledge it, we're not looking for it, we don't see it because we can't, because we're self-sufficient. And then when he does show up, and it does catch our attention, the next thing that we do is, is we try to seek an explanation for it. We try to figure it out. We try to define it. We try to say, no, it's not God. It's got to be a word we like to use in modern culture as it is a coincidence, right? In God's kingdom, there is no coincidence. Everything is on purpose. And so we, we, we try to explain it away. We try to seek an explanation. And then once we don't have an explanation... And we think, okay, this, I don't know how to explain it. Instead of trying to tell people this happened, I don't know how to explain it. What we do is we stay silent about it. We stay silent about it because we're embarrassed that we can't explain it or we're, we're prideful. It seems foolish to be able to try to describe this to somebody. They're not going to understand. And, and for me, like where this comes into play, where I don't share what God's done in my life miraculously is, is I get kind of embarrassed. It's like, I don't want people to think that I am being all braggadocious. I don't, and, and you know what that is? That's pride because I'm more concerned about what they're going to think about me instead of the glory that God's going to get. Guys, 
I'm robbing God of his glory because I'm embarrassed of what people may think. And so we're going to look at this story in Acts chapter 12 where the believers almost, almost missed a miracle. And so we're going to read several passages of scripture and, and it's going to be on the screen. If you didn't bring your Bible, it's going to be in Acts chapter 12. And during this time, the church is, believers are starting to be persecuted. King Agrippa is persecuting believers everywhere. James, the brother of John, um, has just been executed with a sword. And this is the documentation of the first apostle who was executed. And so it wasn't just one of the 12. This was one of Jesus's main three. We know that he had the 12, but then he also had Peter, James, and John. And so this isn't like Judas, right? This isn't like one of the, one of the ones he didn't care so much about. This is one of the ones that got to go on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration and witness Jesus in his glory. This is one of Jesus's top three, and, and he's been um, martyred. And the king recognizes how much excitement that this brings all the Jews, and so he arrests Peter and sends him the trial with actually the same idea that he's going to do the same thing. And so we're going to pick up in verse 5, and it says, But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was placed to be placed on trial, he was asleep, and he was fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to wake him up and said, get up, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist. And the angel said to him, get dressed and put on your sandals. And Peter did. Now put on your coat and follow me. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. And so they passed the first and the second guard post. And they came to the iron gate leading into the city. And this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street. And then, says the angel, suddenly left him. And Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from the Jewish leaders for what they had planned to do to me. Verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, not Jesus' mother. It says, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked on the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door and letting him in, she ran back inside and told everyone, hey, hey, Peter's standing at the door. And they say, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. And when she insisted, they decided, well, it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. And when they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed, and he motioned for them to quiet down, and he told him how the Lord had led him out of prison. And I, like, I, I love this story. And I want to encourage you, when you read the Bible, you've you got to read it with some color. You've got to read it with some imagination. And, and I love that it says, it says, the angel of the Lord was standing in front of Peter as he was sleeping and strikes him to wake him up. And so I just like imagine Peter sleeping in between these two guards, and he's handcuffed ankles and, and wrist and he's sleeping and the Lord just kind of walks in and Peter's laying there and he's like, I gotta wake him up. How can I wake him up? It doesn't say he tapped him on the shoulder. 
doesn't say, hey, Pete, come on, we're going to get out of here. Come on. Hey, little buddy. That's not what it says. What, is, what does the angel do? Strikes him. Like, imagine being dead asleep and you get struck in the side. I remember when, when my oldest, Ella, was probably five or six and we would stay at Chili's really, really late, just hanging out with people, and she would fall asleep. We would put her in another booth, just kind of laid out. And so literally, you would walk into the restaurant, and you'd see our daughter's feet hanging out of a booth all by herself. And so we got ready to leave, and, and I would like slide her out of the booth and throw her over my shoulders, and I would take her to the car. And this one night in particular, I put her in the car, and I lay her down, and I buckle her, and I turn, and I slam the door shut, but it doesn't shut. It bounces back open because her foot was in the door. <laughs> and so she woke up screaming. And it says that when Peter woke up, he immediately did everything the angel asked, probably because he was terrified. He was in a good sleep and then he has woke up. But when we look at this, and I just, my mind goes places when I read. And, and, and Peter was actually positioned for a miracle. The church was praying and positioned for a miracle for their apostle, for their pastor, for their friend. And, and when we look through these 12, 13 verses, um, we see how to position ourselves for a miracle. The first is this. It's simple. We have to be in need of a miracle. Like God, like we get placed in a position to where there is absolutely nothing that we can do. But guess where we don't want to be? in those places. We don't want to be in those places where our hands are tied, our bank account's empty, all the doors are locked, nobody's returning our phone calls, the doctor's reports are terrible. We don't want to be in those places. But here's what I found out in my life is that it's in those places, it's in the most unbearable circumstances in life is when we have the opportunity to see God's most undeniable goodness. And we have to be in places where we need miracles. And sometimes that means taking our hands off the situation. And, and it says that in, in, in verse 5, it says, while Peter was in prison, the church prayed. And here's what we have to do. We have to pray instead of problem solve. We have to pray instead of problem solve. For most of us in here, when something comes up, our first resort is to try to figure out how to fix it. All the guys in the house, let's raise our hands, Right? Like, that's what we try to do. We try to fix it. And when we were moving here, and again, like, I know you've heard this story, but I'm putting my pride aside so that God can get the glory. When we were moving here, trying to sell our house, and we were at Disney World in Orlando, Florida, with a contract on our house, I'm hanging with Mickey thinking we're moving to Murfreesboro. Two days in, our realtor calls and says, hey, man, I got some bad news. The buyers are backing out. They say there's damage on your roof. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's not damage. Tell them to come back. And so guess what I'm doing? I'm problem solving. I'm calling carpenters that I know, construction workers. I'm calling my insurance adjuster. I'm calling my realtor back. I'm saying, can you please call them back? Call them back. We'll, like, we'll replace the roof. We'll do whatever. We, because you know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to fix it. And so when, when, I'm, when I'm there... 
my realtor is like this. He says, look, with your family, you're with your family. Just go hang out with Mickey. And I'm like, I'm not going to go hang with Mickey. I'm devastated. Is this how my church planting journey is going to go? And the Lord reminded me of what he told Moses when he's trying to lead the children of Israel across the Red Sea. And there's like, how are we going to get across? God told Moses, just stand and watch what the Lord can do. And so that's what I did. I walked and I prayed. I was like, all right, God. You're in control. I am 14 hours away. There is absolutely nothing that I can do. I was positioned in a place where I needed a miracle, and I had to pray instead of problem solve. Um, We see Peter. What is Peter doing in verse 6? He's what? He's sleeping. Imagine one of your best friends, one of the three, okay? Peter, James, and John. James has been executed. Peter is in prison. He kind of knows what's coming. He knows he's on trial the next day and it's not going to end well. But what is he doing? He is sleeping. Because what we need to do at times is we need to rest in the sovereignty of God. Like, Like I have to believe he had seen enough of God's goodness walking with Jesus. Also, post-resurrection, he had seen enough of God's goodness and and how he had provided and supplied and and done all these things that that he was able to rest in God's sovereignty. And, And sovereignty is just a word that we use in the church that means God is in control. That at the end of it, and he's probably thinking, if I die, God is in control. If I live, God is in control because my life is not mine. My life is his. And so we have to, when we find ourselves in those places and we're praying in those places, we have to find an ability just to rest. One of the blessings that my previous church gave me when we left is that they promised to continue paying me for six months after I left. And what's crazy is when I went in to resign, uh, my pastor had already given, like told HR to give me a raise that morning before we had the meeting uh, for me to tell him I'm resigning. And then he tells me after I, it's like, hey, pastor, I'm going to go start a church. And he's like, well, I just, I just gave you a raise. And I'm like, uh, you can take the raise back. I completely, un- completely understand. I get to keep the raise. So I go in and quit my job and I got to, like, I got a raise. So like when you go in to quit your job, pray for a raise before you quit. <laughs> like who knows, right? Who knows? But, but I remember like just being so grateful when he promised to provide for our family through the end of 2019. But I also remember knowing that the end of 2019 was coming and I was no longer going to have those finances. And I remember trying to get a job here and get a job there. I couldn't even get hired by the slushy company, guys. And so I got a text message from the administrative assistant at, at at my previous church. And she's like, hey, just so you know, Next week's your last check. That's the worst text message almost I've ever gotten. And I was just like, all right. I, like, I remember being nauseous for like a day. But then I also remember being, all right, that is over. Like that's, that's gone. And I can't tell you like how much peace I went in knowing that has stopped, but God brought me here. He's going to have to provide. And so we have to rest in his sovereignty. And so when Peter wakes up, and part of it, he's probably just terrified because he just got punched in the ribs. And the angel says, get up, get dressed. And Peter does all of that. And when God prompts us 
to do something, we have to act, we have to move in faith. And it could be something as simple as putting on your clothes, something as simple as putting on your shoes, something as simple as going and having a conversation with someone. But when that direction is given to us by the Lord, we have to act in faith. And when you feel like the Lord is prompting you, just do something. And so Peter's out walking the streets. He's walked out of prison. He's thinking this is all just a vision or a dream. So he's trying to justify it. He's trying to explain it in his mind. And when the angel leaves, he's like, oh, wait, wait, wait. This isn't just a vision. This is really happening. And this is where you and I, we have to recognize and we have to see the miracle that's taking place. Like we have to see it for what it is and not try to explain it away. Just recognize that there are no coincidences. And so Peter recognized it. But when he got to Mary's house and is knocking on the door, and Rhoda comes to the door, he's knocking. They've been praying. It says, while Peter was in prison, what did the church do? The church prayed, and not just prayed, but earnestly. It means they were having a prayer service. It wasn't like a little popcorn prayer where if you don't want to say anything, you squeeze the person's hand beside you, right? So then it just goes like, like they were praying for Peter to get out of jail because they knew James had just been executed and they didn't want the same thing to happen to Peter. And so they're praying. Peter gets out and he comes to the door and he knocks on the door and Rhoda's all excited because the prayer has been answered. Like all excited, she goes back and doesn't even let him in. Like imagine Peter, like he's standing there, wait, 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 wait. And she goes back to tell everybody and like, you're crazy. <laughs> like you're, you're out of your mind. It's, there's no way Peter's here. And this is, it must be his angel. And I was like, what, is, what does that mean? Because first century Jewish believers actually thought that each person had a guardian angel. And so they thought that it was Peter's guardian angel with his voice giving a report of how Peter was doing. And so Peter's just out there knocking like, hey, it's really me. And so when they come back and they open, him, open the door to let him in, they're just, they're just astounded. They almost missed the miracle because they tried to explain it away. They were disregarding God's divine intervention and activity in their life. And, and I don't want us to miss this. I don't like I want our eyes to be open. I want us to be in awe of what God is doing in the midst of all of this in all of our lives. But he didn't just keep it to himself. He went inside and he told the story. He went inside and told the story. And so this is what you and I have to do is we have to tell the story. Like no matter how insignificant or how silly or how weird it may be, we, we have to tell the story of when God shows up and does something in our life. And and it says that it is an unusual way of, of activity intervening into our life. Guys, like I could take literally probably a half hour to an hour to tell you all the financial miracles that, that, that were provided for my family as we were planning this church. Like we went from like, like I, I made pretty good as an executive pastor with full benefits and I gave it all up to come plant the church, trusting God. And there were times where I was like, God, are you going to show? Are you going to show? 
my income has stopped. I can't get a job. I'm going to get a job throwing packages at FedEx. My daughter, as a 17-year-old, working at Chick-fil-A, now makes more than I made as a 40-year-old working at FedEx. I had to start, like, below the bottom rung of the ladder. And I look, but God provided all along the way. The organization that we planted with sent us a check. One of our overseers sent us a check. And in case you don't remember, there was this thing that happened in 2020. Um, what was it? Oh, it's COVID. Yeah, it's COVID. And so there were some funds that were given out to help people. And I know there's different views and opinions about all of that, right? But I'll tell you, for my family, it was an answer to prayer. It was a miracle because those funds filled in all the gaps of what I was missing from my previous salary. We had checks show up in the mailbox, and I don't fundraise well. I don't ask people for money. If you notice, I don't even think I mentioned offering today, did I? No, I'm horrible at it, right? But God provides when we allow ourselves to be placed in positions where we can't fix it. It's in the most unbearable circumstances that we see God's undeniable goodness. But I also know on the flip side, there are many of us in this room, myself included, where we have prayed for miracles. We have prayed for that provision and it not come through when we wanted it to. Or we've prayed for healing in a loved one in a hospital and we've not seen them get out of the bed. We stand at their casket with other loved ones wondering, why did God not answer a prayer? When reality, as believers, what has taken place is a miracle. Because the greatest miracle that we can ever experience is the miracle of salvation. And so that's why we say, like, we don't, we don't mourn as those who have no hope. Because we do have a hope that is greater than anything we can experience here. And I sent, I sent our team um, a copy of today's verse this week. And sometimes if you get that to your phone, you just it kind of blends into the canvas of everything else. It shows up as a notification. You read it, you forget about it. But it was, it was saying like this light and momentary suffering, like what we see now is temporary. What we see is temporary. What we see is passing compared to the eternal that we get to see compared to the things that are unseen. And so the answered miracles now, guess what? They're temporary. The unanswered prayers right now, guess what? They're temporary in comparison to the eternal things that are unseen. And the greatest miracle for those of us, listen, for those of us here that have had our sins forgiven, that's the greatest miracle. And Paul, Paul even says this. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And, and as the church is growing, as the church is growing and Paul's planting churches, you, you have these two groups of people. You have the Gentiles that are philosophers and they're wanting all of this information and justification and explanation. But then you have the Jews who are also getting saved and they want all these signs and miracles to believe. And so we want an explanation in order to believe. We want miracles in order to believe. And this is what Paul says. He says, but to those, 
called by God to salvation, both the Jews and the Gentiles, the insiders, the outsiders. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. That that is the greatest miracle and that is the greatest explanation of anything we get to experience. And it says, this foolish plan, and it's foolish to those who are perishing, he says. To those who are perishing and don't get it, it's complete foolishness. But for those of us who are being saved, this foolish plan of God, salvation through Jesus, is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strengths. And the greatest miracle that we get to experience is the miracle of salvation because that is something we can absolutely not do on our own. There is no good we can be good enough to receive that. But there is no bad, bad enough to prevent us from accepting that. And so maybe you're here today and, you know, maybe you've been praying for a miracle in your life, but maybe the greatest miracle that you need in your life is to draw closer in relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe you were there and now you're not, or maybe you've never been there. You're uncertain. You carry the label of Christian, but, but you don't know Jesus. That is the greatest miracle that our sin has put us in a place where we can absolutely do nothing with it. And we can try to justify it. We can try to explain it, but that doesn't change it. It's just through accepting the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for the final perfect sacrifice and forgiveness for our sins. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, and, and, and as we look at the awe of God, the goodness of God, the miracles of God, the greatest miracle that you could ask in your life is for him to cleanse your sins, for him to remove your guilt and shame, not by your good deeds, but by his greater works. And if that's you today, and you need to rest, as Chad said, in that work, in that miracle, I want to invite you. Just, I want to know who I'm praying for. And if you would just lift your hand and you can put it right back down just so that I know who I'm praying for. Awesome. 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 We're going to pray together. And if you lifted your hand, and maybe even if you didn't, I want to invite you just right at your seat. Um, I want you to have a conversation with God. It's not my words that save you, but it's yours. And you just start with a simple phrase of, Jesus, I give you my life. That is surrender to his authority, his lordship, and that's repentance from your life. That's turning from your life. Scripture says that all those who believe in their heart and confess with their mouth will be saved. That the old is gone and all things are made new for those who are in Christ. And so, Father, we just come to you this morning, and I thank you for the hands that were raised. Um, but even more so, I thank you for the hearts that were lifted, that those hands represent. And even the ones that didn't lift their hands, God, I know that you're working on hearts in this room. I know that you're working on spirits in this room. God, that whatever sin, shame, guilt, insecurity they brought to this point that the enemy tried to use to condemn, condemn them, your spirit has used to convict them, to bring them to a place of repentance and turning from their life to you. And so God, let them experience your unconditional love even in this moment as the greatest miracle. 
that they could experience. Father, we just thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. Amen.